Now, let's prepare our hearts to hear the preaching of God's word. And we're going to get to hear more about this great king, this King Jesus. The sermon title this morning is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And Justin is going to come and bring God's word to us. And before he does that, Amanda's going to read the text. So thank you, Amanda, for reading the passage. All right. This is Colossians 1, 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Amen, amen. Well, church, it's good to gather with you on this uh, third Sunday of Advent. As Mark mentioned, my name is Justin, and I'm one of the pastors at Sojourn. It's just good to be able to worship with you this morning in person and online, uh, and even be able to do this Advent series with one another. Uh, I've gotten the privilege of preaching last week and this week, and Mark will be back up next Sunday for our fourth, fourth Sunday of Advent. And man, what a beautiful morning the Lord has given us uh, to be together and to come and worship him. So before we dive into this text in Colossians, let's just go to him and give thanks and pray that he would bless this time. So would you pray with me? Holy God, we come before you and just as we've sung this morning, as we've prayed this morning, as your word has been read this morning, we just acknowledge God that you are awesome. And that you're magnificent and you are holy and you are eternal. You abound in steadfast love towards us. God, what grace that you have made yourself known to us and made a way for us to be in relationship with you. Holy God, I pray that you would help us today. By the power of your spirit, I pray that you would help us to lift our gaze with so many things going on in our lives, so many things going on in our world. God, would you help us by your spirit to lift our gaze this morning and behold your glory. God, we pray by your spirit that you would draw us near and give us hope. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, at different points in all of our lives, we, we have circumstances and situations we find ourselves in that are challenging and that are difficult. Things that come into our life that might cause some angst or worry. It might be relational conflict, relational conflict between family members or a coworker or a neighbor. Some of us will encounter or have encountered financial challenges in our life. And for some of us, there's that daunting health diagnosis that comes our way. And it's in those moments that we often, maybe sometimes for the first time, really acknowledge and recognize our need for help. 
that, that we recognize we can't navigate whatever lies before us on our own. But in those moments when you and I recognize our need for help, we also at the same time recognize that we don't help, want help from just anybody. No, we want someone qualified to help us. We want somebody capable to help us. Have you guys seen some of those AT&T commercials where somebody goes in and, and they're going to get a tattoo or they go in and they're about to have surgery and the, the tattoo artist comes in, the surgeon comes in and it's very clear from their expression and what they're talking about that they're kind of mediocre when it comes to their skill sets as a tattoo artist or a surgeon and the person obviously is worried about that. The tagline in those commercials is just okay is not okay. I mean, it's a funny commercial. Man, in real life, that stuff matters. In real life, just okay is not okay. Well, right now, we find ourselves in the middle of Advent, this season, this time in the life of the church, in the history of the church, where we take time to think on and slow down and reflect on the reality that Jesus has come to us and that Jesus will come again. And we're in the middle of a sermon series called Songs of Advent, where we are seeking to root ourselves in a text of Scripture and then using well-known Advent songs to come alongside and illustrate and support and affirm the truths that the text calls us to see and believe. We saw our text this morning, we just heard it read from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, and the title of our sermon is the hymn that we're also using, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. This hymn is written by someone that nobody knows. The author's unknown. The date even is unknown. Most people think that it was probably in circulation around the early 1700s and maybe in some form even back to the 12th century. Simply put, it's been around for a long time. What I love about this song is that this song is a song of longing for hope. A song of longing for hope and for restoration in the midst of despair. In other words, it's a song asking and pleading for help. But this song isn't just a call for help from anyone who's willing to help. No, it's a call for help from someone, the only one who is qualified and capable to help. As we come to our text today, what we see is that Jesus is that qualified and capable person, capable person because of who Jesus is. So listen, no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey this morning, no matter what might be going on in your life right now, let's jump into Colossians 1. And as we do that, I want us to strive to see and follow the one who has come and will come again to, as our song says, fill the whole earth with heaven's peace. The Apostle Paul is the author of this letter, and he's writing this letter to a local church, a local church like this, a church, a group of people gathered together, and he's writing to them to encourage them. He's writing to encourage us to do something, to stay focused, to find our life rooted in the good news of Jesus, who Jesus is, and what Jesus has done, and what Jesus is doing, and what Jesus will do. Paul's writing this letter to this group of people. He's writing this letter to us because he knows that in the messy and mundane moments of life, all of us are tempted. We're tempted to doubt the goodness and faithfulness of God. We're tempted to doubt that God can help us, that God will help us, that God is able to help us. 
And in those moments of doubt, our world is right there, ready to sell us on another way to peace, to sell us on another way to have hope, another way to be made whole. I don't know about you, but I feel tempted regularly to find my hope and help in something else besides my God. I might look to things like, man, if my bank account is in a good place, if my retirement account is in a good place, then I feel secure. Or sometimes I just want the distraction from the things of this world and so I could run to something like media or eating good food and think, oh man, that's going to give me help and hope. But the thing that I'm most tempted to do when I'm not believing, when I'm doubting in God's faithfulness, that he's able and qualified to help me, is I'm tempted to believe that I am self-sufficient, that, that I actually don't really need help, that I can do whatever I need to do on my own. What about you? Do you ever doubt God's goodness and faithfulness in your life? Do you ever doubt his ability to follow through on his promises? Do you find yourself at times running after someone or something else to find hope and help in time of need? See, Paul doesn't want you to be tempted in those real moments that are in front of our face. He doesn't want you to be tempted to think that Jesus isn't enough for you, that Jesus isn't sufficient, that he's not qualified and capable to satisfy and save you. He doesn't want you to be tempted in those moments to say, I need, I need Jesus, I know I need him, but maybe I need a little bit of something else too. Add-ons, false saviors, those things that we're tempted to run after when we doubt Jesus' ability to love us and lead us in the here and now. See, what Paul's doing here is he's seeking to show us the reason that you can find your help and find your hope in Jesus alone because of who Jesus is. So, in Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20, Paul paints a masterful picture of Jesus. And in this, he shows us two overarching big things about our great Redeemer. The first thing we see about our great redeemer is that our great redeemer is transcendent. Our great redeemer is transcendent. Now maybe that's not a word that you use often in your regular vocabulary. The idea of being transcendent is that someone is otherworldly, is high and lifted up, is not the same as we are. And we see that all through this text. Look at verse 15 again. In Colossians 1.15, Paul writes, He, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Paul says, God, who is invisible, who's existed for all eternity, who is unable to be seen by the normal human eye, this God has been imaged and seen in and through Jesus. I mean, this is mind-blowing. Prior to Jesus coming into this world, God revealed himself to us. But he revealed himself to us primarily through his acts and the words of his prophets. No one has seen the face of God. Even when Moses desired to see the fullness of God's glory, God said, no, you can't. If you do, you'll get smoked. So I'm going to hide you in the cleft of a rock and I'm just going to let you see the trail, the tail end of my glory. No one has seen the fullness of God. So for Paul in this moment to say, Jesus, though, Jesus is the image of this invisible God, is huge. He's telling each of us, if you want to see God, if you want to know God, you see him and you know him in Christ. 
John chapter 1, verse 18, Jesus comes and he says, or John tells us that Jesus comes to explain the Father to us, to reveal the Father to us. If we want to understand who God is, we see it in Christ. That's why he's come, is to reveal all of who God is to his people. Paul also says he's the firstborn of all creation. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus was made that there was never a time when the Son didn't exist. He is eternal along with the Father and the Spirit. What Paul's getting at is the fact that Jesus has all of the rights and all of the privileges of a firstborn son, that Jesus is the heir of all things because Jesus is king over all. That's just verse 15. Then in verse 16, Paul says this, The beginning of verse 16, for by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Did you catch what Paul said here? He said, for by him and in him, all things were created. Do do you know someone in your life, maybe it's you, who likes to use, um, you know, language, absolute kind of language? Like when they're describing something, they're like, every time this happens, this, you know, they say, or everyone always thinks this, or all of the time these things happen, right? These is exhaustive kind of language. Paul's doing that right here. He's saying, he uses the word all five times in three verses. I think he's trying to get something across to us. What does the word all mean? All means all. It's exhaustive, inclusive of everything that was created, period. That's why Paul says to make sure that we understand Jesus made everything. He made all things, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities, everything spiritual and physical, Jesus did it. He made it. There's not one single creature or aspect of creation that is autonomous from Christ's rule and reign. No creature is self-existent. No creature is self-sustaining or self-sufficient. All things owe their existence to Jesus. Now think about what this means for your own life. And the message that the world often tries to tell you about your life. And our world likes to tell us, like, you're good on your own. You you are self-sufficient and self-sustaining and self-sovereign. But here we recognize, no, no, no. You're not self-sovereign. You're not independent. You were created. And you were made. And you were formed. And you were fashioned. And it wasn't for your fame. And it wasn't for your glory. Paul says at the end of verse 16, all things were created through him and for him. That includes you and me. You and I were made for Jesus' fame. We're created for Jesus' glory. As one scholar said, Christ stands at the beginning as the one through whom it came into being, and he stands as its end, at the, as the goal of the universe. I wonder for you, what's the goal of your life right now? What's the focus of your life? Is it Jesus in his glory or something less glorious? Now, if that's not enough, Paul's continuing to write. Verse 17, he says, and he, 
Jesus is before all things and in him all things hold together. Not only do we owe our very existence to Christ, which we've already seen sets him above and before all things, but he sustains our very lives. See, Jesus didn't create the world like a wind-up toy. Like he made it, like he produced some kind of product and then let it go. It's like, I hope that goes well. Walk away. No, Jesus is the sustainer and the maintainer of the universe. In Jesus and through Jesus, all things hold together. You know, I think it's interesting in our culture, something that's popular in our culture right now is to personify the universe. I'm sure maybe you've used this language before. You've heard neighbors or friends or coworkers talk about this. Like they, they talk about the universe as if the universe is a person. I wonder what the universe is giving me today. I need to ask the universe for something. But you know what? We don't need to do that. Because the ruler of the universe is a person. He is a person. Our universe owes its continuing coherence to Christ. Without Jesus, electrons wouldn't continue to circle nuclei. Gravity would cease to work. The planets would fall out of their orbit. Creation would unravel apart from Christ. And if that isn't mind-blowing enough to think that Jesus not only called everything into existence as the very word of God, that he holds all things together, think about this. He did this even in Mary's womb. Even as a tiny, as we sang this morning, seemingly helpless babe, the eternal son of God never ceased to hold all of creation together. It's amazing. That means at Christmas... We don't celebrate some little, cute, cuddly, quiet baby born into this world. No, what we celebrate is our king creator who sustains our very universe. This is the power of the kingdom of God. This is the reach of our king. But the kingdom of this son, the eternal son, isn't only about our universe. It's about your heart and your life as well. Abraham Kuyper, a theologian from many years ago said this famously, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine, mine. Jesus says to everything, that is mine. It belongs to me. But in case you think that's just about things out there, he's talking to you. You belong to him. He knows every aspect of your life. He's sovereign over you. He goes before you. He is with you in the very details of your life, always for your good and always for his glory. And this reality of verse 17 has been both so challenging to me over the years and so comforting to me over the years. It's challenging to me because it means that and reminds me that I'm not in control. I I can't sustain myself. I need someone else to do that for me. But it's also incredibly comforting to me. Because in the midst of those moments in life when I don't know why something is happening or what's going on, I know that Jesus is holding it all together. When I'm tempted to doubt, doubt his faithfulness and doubt his ability to help, I can come back to this and remember who my Savior is, my great Redeemer that is high and lifted up. John Piper, a pastor and writer, 
once said that at any time in life, God could be doing some 10,000 things and you maybe know two or three of them. And that's verse 17. Jesus holds everything together. That's amazing. It's amazing. But you know what? Paul's not done talking yet. He's not ta done talking yet about our great Redeemer. See, Paul's reaching this crescendo in this explanation of our great Redeemer, talking about his transcendence, and you can feel it. Let's look at verses 15 and 20 all together again. Just hear Imagine hearing the voice of Paul writing this as he's amped up writing these words down. He says, he, talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus is not unqualified. Jesus is not incapable to give you the help and hope that you need in the midst of your life. Because Jesus is not some divine lackey. He's not some lesser God. No, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Christ. Jesus is fully God. He's the exact imprint of the nature of our God. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's magnificent. He's incomparable. He's unfathomable. Nothing is above Christ. He is transcendent. He is wonderful and great. He is high and lifted up. You know, our world, though, it tells you that you're the most important. It tells you that you're the center of the universe. The world revolves around you. And you know what? We tend to believe it. But this text right here is a sobering wake-up call to say no. It's a gift of grace to you to say no. You're not at the center. Jesus is. Jesus is the preeminent one. He is paramount in rank and in dignity and importance. Jesus is high and lifted up. Now, what does this have to do with Advent? Celebrating Christ. What does this have to do with our own daily lives? Pastor and writer Tim Keller said this, Christmas is telling you that you couldn't get to heaven on your own. God had to come to you. And that's exactly what he did. See, Paul makes it crystal clear that Jesus is transcendent, yet, yet at the very same time, we see that our great Redeemer is also imminent. He's imminent. He's near. He's in the midst of. The very one who created the cosmos was born into this world, humbly taking on humanity, Jesus entered into the mess, entered into our mess. See, instead of following God, all of us are born into this world and seek to go our own way. We seek to be the rulers of our own lives. 
We, we, we place ourselves in the position that only God should hold. Asserting our own kingdom, our own will against his, wanting to do whatever it is that we want to do, trying to be those self-sovereigns. We've chosen to worship ourselves. We've chosen to worship creation instead of God as creator and king. This is rebellion. It's what the Bible calls sin. And its consequences and effects are catastrophic for our world and for our lives. Our, our world is fractured. It's broken. We see that around us all the time. Our relationships are broken. We have people we don't get along with. We have difficulty in the midst of our lives. But the ultimate relationship has been broken between us and God. Removed from his presence. Separated from him. We have spiritual death in our lives. All of us apart from Christ, are walking around like spiritual zombies. We are the walking dead. But Jesus, Jesus, he came to us as one of us to rescue us. He came to rescue you out of your darkness. He came to rescue you out of your sin and out of your rebellion. He came to rescue you out of being captivated by less glorious things. He came to rescue you out of the delusion that you are okay on your own. How? How did he do that? He did it, Paul tells us, by making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus didn't just give some divine fiat or some declaration. No, Jesus came and he lived a perfect life of obedience before the Father. Living the life that you and I are called to live before God that we're unable to. He lived in perfect obedience with the Father and then he willingly went to a cross crucified, his hands and his feet nailed to this wood, experiencing excruciating pain of physical death. But in that exact moment, God, the Father, in all of his holiness and majesty and righteousness, poured out his wrath on Jesus instead of on you. Jesus became a substitute for you so that you could be set free, so you could be made new. You and I have spit in the face of God saying, I don't need you. I don't want you. I'm fine on my own. And Jesus came in grace to rescue you out of that, to bring you back into relationship with God. He was crucified on that cross, buried in the ground. But three days later, as we just sang, gloriously rose from the grave, having victory over our sin and over death. But listen, I don't want that to be lost on you. I don't want us to take that for granted. If you've been around the church for a long time, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you know that. That's the gospel. You've rehearsed that. You say you believe that. But do you really stop in those moments to think about what's going on here? Jesus, the transcendent one, he didn't phone it in. He, he didn't send a proxy. He came to you and for you. This one who Paul has just described entered into the midst of our broken world and broken lives to bring redemption. See, the reason our Redeemer must be great is because our need is so great. Our song uses strong words. This hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, uses strong words about our situation. When you were in captivity, Jesus paid the ransom for your release. When you were under the tyranny of Satan and sin, Jesus came to save you and set you free. When you were walking in darkness, Jesus shined the light of his glory into your life. 
Jesus is qualified and capable to give you help and hope in all things, even the details of our life, because he gave you help and hope in the greatest thing. Jesus is the remedy of your greatest need. He's the healing balm to your greatest sickness. Jesus is your sin slayer and shame crusher. No one else could do that for you. No one. For a people born into sin, in a world damaged by sin, there simply could be no other source of help and hope. Jesus is qualified and capable because Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And that is what we celebrate. That is who we celebrate during Advent. You know, verse one of our song says, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, Israel or Israel, that mourns in lonely exile here. One pastor and author recently said, to really feel Advent, we need to really feel exile. My fear for some of you, though, is that you've grown comfortable in this world the way it is, even as messy as it is. Our world is eager to distract you. It's eager to put you back at the center of your life. And to be honest, it's pretty easy to do in this area, in in Northern Virginia. You know, in normal times, many of us, certainly not all of us, but many of us have all we need and even more than we need. And even in difficult times, like we're facing right now as a country, many of us don't feel the effects of it. We don't know what's going on. We're not really paying attention. We're somewhat insulated from the struggles of our neighbors. I've had people say things to me like, man, you know this whole COVID thing? It's actually, it's actually pretty good for my family. But if that's you, you might find yourself tempted in those moments, not towards fear, but towards flippancy or apathy. Why is that? Why, why might you be tempted to to be tempted towards those things, even as a follower of this magnificent Jesus that Paul has described. Maybe it's because you've forgotten who you are and whose you are. Maybe it's because you've forgotten that you are a sojourner and exile here in this place. That this place is not your home and not your hope. No, you belong to a king in the kingdom that's not of this world that we talked about over the fall living life under the redemptive reign of King Jesus. Now for others of you though, you're not comfortable here. You don't need the reminder of your exile. You know it. You're feeling it right now. Well, verse three of our song says, come thou dayspring. It's an old way of saying, come thou sunrise. Come thou dayspring and come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. Many of you have or even now are experiencing the gloomy clouds of night. These clouds that seem to have gathered over your head and aren't dissipating. You're feeling lonely or maybe confused. Mental health right now is a struggle for you. The clouds are over you, but the sunrise doesn't seem to be poking through to put them to flight. For others of you, you know all too well the reality of death's dark shadows. 
They've impacted you personally, directly, maybe even this year. And if that's you, you may not find yourself tempted, or you may find yourself tempted not towards flippancy or apathy, but tempted towards fear or despair or hopelessness. But listen, for all of us, whether we're too comfortable in this place or we're acutely aware of our exile, I think one of the biggest reasons that we're tempted not to look for Jesus for our help and hope here and now is because we often forget how great our Redeemer really is. And it's hard to have enduring hope. It's hard to have enduring hope if you don't have a high view of Jesus. That's why I'm grateful for Advent. That's why I love this time of year. That's why I'm grateful for a text like this in Colossians 1 and a song like, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, because it reminds us of what is true. It reminds us of who is true. It it helps to lift high in our minds and in our hearts and in our world our qualified and capable Redeemer, who is both transcendent and imminent. So that instead of being tempted towards apathy or despair, towards flippancy or fear, you and I can strive towards faith, faith in the faithfulness of our God. See, the reality is we all struggle at different times and in different ways. The world we live in continues to suffer the ravaging effects of sin. Can we just acknowledge that life is hard? The restoration of all things has begun, but Romans 8 tells us and our experience tells us and shows us that it's not yet complete. When we come back to a text like this and we see this view of Christ before us, we can't miss everything that Paul's saying here. That when he says through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, what he's talking about isn't just your salvation. It isn't just forgiveness of sin, but it's restoring the peace of God. It's restoring the shalom that we talked about last week, this wholeness and completeness in harmony that has been shattered by sin. Jesus will bring it all to completion. We see the brokenness of our world. We experience real pain and real loss in our lives. And we can acknowledge those things. And because of that, we can and should mourn in lonely exile here. We can and should long to be freed from Satan's seeming tyranny. We can and should want envy and strife and quarrels to cease. We can and should want all those things. We long for all those things but not without hope. Because we know that the Son of God, the one that Paul describes here in such a glorious way, the Son of God will appear. What this means is is that help and hope in our life, the help and hope you desire for restoration and for fullness in this life that all of us are looking for, it's not gonna be found in being more enlightened. It's not going to be found in knowing all the answers and knowing all the ups and downs and the whys and whats. It's not going to be found in more likes and followers. Restoration and fullness in this life will not be found and satisfied by the thinking and things of this world. It won't be found if you try to rule your own life as if you were king. No help and hope for restoration and fullness will be found in the one who is the fullness of God. The one who created all things and holds all things together. The one who came to dwell in this world. Who can sympathize with you in your weaknesses. Who is your present help in time of need. The one who is full of grace and truth. 
who went to a cross to bear the weight of all of your sin and all of your shame and who will come again to reconcile and restore all things. How can you remember that this week as you go back out into the world? We have to come back to God's word into a text like this and let it wash over our minds and over our hearts. But you know what? If you find yourself this week not being able to do that, not even being able to come back to a text, not being able to believe this, that's why we also need one another. Text someone, call someone and say, brother, sister, I can't read this for myself. I can't believe this, but would you read it over me? Would you pray it over me? Would you sing it over me? Because I need to remember this. I need to be reminded of how great my Redeemer is. Because brothers and sisters, when we remember who it is that's before us, we can see the empty promises of the world for what they are. Instead, run to and rest in the one who alone is capable to give you what you most need now and forever. This Advent, in the midst of very real difficulty and distraction, in the midst of the maddening moments of life and those mundane moments, I want to invite you to set your gaze on your great Redeemer again. And maybe for some of you, for the first time, that you'd look to Christ and place all of your hope and trust in Him, to look to Jesus, your Emmanuel, to see Him is both transcendent and imminent. I love Isaiah 57, 15. Isaiah writes this, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, to revive the heart of the contrite. And I love that. Does that describe you? Are you contrite and lowly in spirit? Does your heart need reviving right now? So, brothers and sisters, this week, this month, when you're tempted to look for help or hope in someone or something else besides Emmanuel, besides Jesus, when you're tempted towards apathy or despair, come back to the truths of Colossians 1. Come back and see your Savior for who He is, our great Redeemer. And when everything around you seems like a mess, personally, nationally, globally, and you may not understand why it's happening or what's going on, rejoice in the fact that you know the one who does. Remember, the one who made all things, the one who holds all things together, he will come again to make all things new. So we can sing this song. We can sing this song, O come, O come, Emmanuel, with all the longing that's interlaced throughout it. Each stanza of this song that we're about to sing is a prayer, and it's a pleading for Jesus to come and do what only he can do because of who he is. So in that, take solace in him, find peace in him. In Jesus, our Emmanuel, you can have hope. So rejoice. Emmanuel has come and redemption has been accomplished. Rejoice. Emmanuel will come again and restoration will be complete. And to that, we can say and sing now, O come, O come, Emmanuel. You know, one of the best ways that we can lift our gaze to our great Redeemer is to come and take communion. It's this means of grace, this physical means of grace that God gives to us that as we eat and as we drink, we would be reminded of the greatness of our Redeemer. That God of all the universe came to us to rescue us. 
We eat the bread, a picture of Jesus' body broken for us. And we drink the cup, a picture of Jesus' blood shed for us. And we get to do that during Advent. A time where we look back in thanks and look forward in hope. So brothers and sisters, as you eat and drink today, may it point you back to the first Advent in your rescue and point you forward and ahead to the second Advent of your restoration when Jesus comes again. And may it compel all of us to rejoice as we longingly wait for that day. And listen, if you're not yet a follower of Christ, I'm so grateful that you're here. You're not here by accident or mistake. God wanted you to be here this morning because he wants you to see Jesus and he wants you to take Jesus. So instead of eating and drinking this morning, I wanna invite you to take Christ. And if you have questions about what it means to know him and follow him, come talk to me or anybody else in this room. We'd love to walk with you in that. For those of you that are going to be taking communion, as Mark mentioned, the elements are out in the lobby if you don't have them already. And I would just wanna invite you to take them when you are ready to do that. That you take a moment to pray, to repent, to rejoice, to ask for help and hope from Christ your Savior. And when you're ready, eat that bread, drink that cup, and then let's stand and sing together. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this glorious picture of Jesus, our great Redeemer. God, we thank you that he is a Redeemer, a Savior who is both transcendent, high and lifted up, and imminent, near to us came to us as one of us. God, would you help us to lift our gaze to him this week? Help us to find help and hope in the one who made all things and holds all things together. Help us, God, to find our hope in the one who died and rose for us, the one who will come again, make all things new, our Emmanuel, God with us. We pray this in his name, amen. Take communion whenever you're ready.